Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here on, uh, we're recording this uh, noon on Wednesday, January 19th. Um, busy, uh, busy time for basketball we've got a couple of big wins to talk about for both the men and the women we got some returnees for football and some new guys coming in we got coach abe joining us from the women's basketball team eric later on in the show to talk uh, to talk hoops this is a big show for us man this is this is we listen hey it's cold outside it's basketball weather listen this is an exciting show we got the arguably the goat of women's basketball coaching history at UCF. Coach Abe coming on the show with the job she's done fresh off the win against South Florida. And then later, we got news of the GOAT of women's soccer back in Orlando. That's a tease, yes. folks. There you go. Yes. Big news on that, which we'll talk about. Bryson Turner's going to join us a little bit later. But first order of business is UCF men's basketball, Eric Lopez. All right. Last night, all was looking lost, was it not? Uh, UCF was down at the half to ECU in Greenville, 44-28. They were down by as much as 20 in this game. (laughs) They were down 19 with 15 minutes to go. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And UCF ends up coming all the way back. Darius Perry... Knocks down a huge three in the final seconds to force overtime. And then UCF drops 20 points in the overtime period. In five minutes of overtime, they had 28 points in the entire first half. They dropped 20 in the overtime period and come out of Greenville with a much needed, I think we can agree, 92-85 win (laughs) over ECU. Leading scores uh, for UCF real quick. Darius Perry had 19. Brandon Mayhan had 19. All of that in the second half in overtime, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, Bra- uh, yeah. Brandon Mayhem yeah. scored always 19 in the second half. Darius had uh, most of them. I mean, this was a second half. Everything everything yeah. was majority second half in overtime. Yeah, and, da- and Darius Johnson, who who I thought did the true freshman, did a phenomenal job of keeping UCF in the game when things were going bad. ECU at one point, this is what was – ECU for much of the game was shooting 60% from the field – at one point, they made 11 consecutive field goals in this game. But then UCF, toward the end, uh, made their last six, and I think seven of their last eight, uh, in order to get the depth. 
what can you say, man? They needed this one badly, and they got it, and they figured out a way. You remember it was a few years ago where at the basketball court, they had the, the uh, roller coaster design yep. there, just, you know, kind of tease a little Disney kind of promotion or I, I whatever say, it was. I, I would say that was uh, that design was, uh, was polarizing. To say the well, they should bring that back for this team because that's what this team is. They are a roller coaster, up and down, halves by halves. You don't know what you're getting. And I think the ECU game was an example of that. They, they, the first half of ECU was kind of a continuation of the South Florida debacle on Saturday where they just didn't get anything going offensively, didn't really defend, teams shooting the ball well on them. And then the second half, they find themselves down 20 and they get hot. They get a red hot. Brandon Mayhem, who I now will call second half Mayhem, because all his great performances in his use of career. Because Randy Shannon is gone, but anyway. Yes, that is correct. We need to replace. But he's a second half player, which is bizarre. I don't I can't explain it. He can't probably explain it. And I definitely know the coaching staff can't explain it. He scores all of his 19 points in the second half, just like he scored 22 of his 26 against Michigan. Uh and it's just this team is wild. The one thing I will say, Darius Johnson, I wrote this on my re, on the recap of the game on blackandgobanner.com. The big, the big positive, and I understand there's negatives, and we'll get to that in a second, but Darius Johnson, to me, is one of the bigger positives of the season. He is, the, to me, he's the future of this program. And Johnny Dawkins, even on his radio postgame show with Mark Daniels, said Darius Johnson led the team in the second half. He came he brought some calm he was steady and i think when he's on the court jeff it allows darius perry to maybe relax play off the ball if he wanted to be more aggressive offensively i think he just allows other guys to get better he's one of those guys that players around him play better and i and darius and i think darius johnson's growth continues on the offensive end career high 16 points and four threes but his defense had some big defensive rebounds during the comeback had a good defensive possession there contesting the last second shot at regulation this kid is the future and i think the sky is the reason i bring that up is the sky is not falling despite what others may suggest on social media because this look it's not been smooth everybody would agree with that but the cover is not going to be bare in the long term. And I think this team, it's a weird team. It's up and down. It may continue that way. But there's optimism because, again, I think the talent is there, especially with Darius Johnson with the future. And I think the fire. See, you know, people made a big deal of the C.J. Walker situation in the, in the, on the bench with about 11 minutes to go in the second half. I actually think that was a good thing. I think us as media, and I'm guilty of this, but us as media and fans, we make a big deal every time a player, an athlete, gets emotional on the bench or on the sidelines. And I say, I think this team needed it. I think we were all screaming. And I think CJ spoke for a lot of people. And I think that lit a fire on that team. They were down 13 at that point. They outscored them by 20. And maybe, just maybe, Jeff, maybe this could be that turning point and this team can kind of start going on a positive direction. Well, we've seen this before, right? You know, where it just feels like, you know, and, and not just with basketball, with other sports too, all throughout the years. Like, you know, there's, you have a really talented team. And believe it or not, I feel like um, I was, I was reminded of the baseball team a couple years ago that was really struggling. Then they had this big comeback win at ECU. Remember that? Yeah. I think it was like two or three years ago. And what is it about ECU that brings this out in us? And, uh, and I thought that the really, really the key moment 
you know, we were chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, but it just felt like ECU just in the second half, late in the second half, just had enough to just kind of stiff arm us, right? And they got a dunk by Alonzo Frink with about with under five minutes to go, to go up 10. And, you know, we had fought back to within, it was 8, 11, you know, we got it, we got it in, with Darius Johnson, or excuse me, Darius Perry hit a three to get us within eight, and it was down to single digits. And you're like, oh man, we're right there, we just need to stop, Frink gets the dunk and we're back up 10. And it was after we had, um, you know, they had missed a three, CJ Walker had missed a three, uh, Brandon Mayhead had missed a three after a turnover, it just felt like, ah, oh, that was our shot, right? So Frink makes that dunk. And then coming right back out of it, all right, Brandon Mahan misses a jumper in the paint, and back at John gets a rebound, and he swings it back out to Darius Johnson, who's not really known for his shooting, right? At least not yet. Drains that three to make it 70-63, all right? Get it back within single digits with four, about four minutes to go. I was like, okay. We're within single digits heading into the under four timeout. Now it's a different ball game. If we get one more stop, then you can get within five or four with a three. And then lo and behold, that's Darius Perry, jumper to cut it down to five. Brandon Mahan, jumper to cut it to three. Um, ECU was back up four, but then Darius made the two free throws. Um, Felton missed the jumper. We get the rebound, and then and then Perry makes that three on what was I thought was a real alpha dog play by him, right? Because he got the ball out on the right wing, and he's like, the heck with this, I'm getting it. And did you hear the ECU announcers um, were like, don't let him shoot, don't let him shoot, right. whatever you do, don't let him shoot. What did he do? They let him shoot. And Should've boom, tie yeah. game. You know, so I thought that there's, I thought the two, I, and I and I put this up there on Twitter, it, this game was the two Darius, it was, uh, was the Darius and Darius show, right? They really uh, play well together. Yeah, I think, they really and, do. That that two-point guard alignment really works, really works. Well, and Coach Dawkins even said, I think, at the end of the game, the those five guys he went with at the end of the game, Darius Johnson, Darius Perry, Brandon Mayhem, uh, Walker, and Mbake, mm -hmm. I think that's your closing five. And I, I get a sense he's comfortable yeah, with that. That's your crunch time lineup right there. And I think now the question is, from the staff standpoint, is do you keep – bringing Darius off the bench or do you just consider starting him I don't I think that's all you know who knows what they'll decide to do there but I think you're going to see Darius playing crunch time minutes and I think it's a positive I think he can help this team win right now I think he makes them better right now but I think you also develop him for the future because he is part of the future of this program yeah. uh and I think that's significant so I think that works in, in two ways yeah he's going to be driving the bus real soon yeah. um 15.38 left in the game. UCF was down. Here's what I had. Um, UCF was down 57.38. UCF outscored ECU 54.28 the rest of the way. Uh, second half, Darius Perry and Darius Johnson combined. Get this. 21 points, 7 of 10 from the field, 5 of 6 from three-point range, 7 of 11 from the line, and this is the two of them combined, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, just two turnovers. They had four turnovers combined in the first half and three steals. Um, that's that's significant contribution from your backcourt right there, and they really controlled the game. And it was also the stuff that they didn't do, or, or excuse me, the stuff that they that didn't show up in the stat sheet that was key because defensively in the backcourt, they finally put the clamps on 
on ECU's backcourt right when they needed to. No doubt they did. And now, you know, obviously the question will be, can they, can they, can they just carry this over to the next game? And I think that's where, why everybody's a little frustrated, a little kind of stressed out. You know, it's like, we can't, you know, it's a half to half. Why can't we see this more consistently? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, all I can tell you is this is, this is kind of been the group that's up and down. Like some people are saying like, what happened? This is not the same team as since Michigan. No, that's actually not true. They're basically the same team. We forget they were down double digits to Michigan in the second half before Brandon got hot and everybody else got hot in the second half. This is who they are. And hopefully I think the defensive intensity was there at the end. You hope they carry this over. Sometimes you need a blow up, a blow over. I, I feel like sometimes as a team, when you're too quiet, there's not that personality. That's that now that that, that kind of brings in some passiveness, some tentativeness. Sometimes you need somebody to just say something and yell. And I thought what CJ did was good from that standpoint. Not that you want to see that all the time, but I I, I think that was I think people are making too big of a deal out of that. I think sometimes you need somebody that can light a fire on somebody and that could light a spark on a team. It's like you and I, we, you and I yell at each other all the time because we light a, a spark on each other. It makes us better. That's right. That's right. the goal. So yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's a good point. Um, cause you could, you could tell just looking at CJ, I think somebody had some video from courtside from that cause it happened during a break, but like CJ, you just, I, he had a look on his face. It was just like, I freaking had it with us playing like this. Correct. Yes. Yes. And, and, and to be honest with you, I thought that he was right. The rest of us, you know, I think felt the same way. Like, how could this be happening? And everything flipped in that minute. And by the way, did you notice who was the guy who came over to him and said, hey, all right, we're good now. We understand. Let's go. Darius Johnson. Darius Johnson. He's a steady That's a guy. That's freshman. Correct. He's that. a steady guy. And that's a lot of why BJ I'm excited Taylor about the future. in that kid. Correct. Don't you think? Correct. Agreed. Yeah. Well, agreed 100% with that. Yeah. That's so, all right. So, let's let's look ahead now. Now, look, now I know you're going to be like, yeah, this doesn't matter right now. But we have to update it anyway. In the net, UCF is – they actually moved up seven spots from 85 to 78 part of that was because of believe it or not Miami moving up 16 spots <laughs> that that Miami win looms large well because Miami destroyed North Carolina that's yeah. why boy you want to talk about a team that's up and down Miami loses to Florida State and Tallahassee in pretty dramatic fashion and they beat both Duke and North Carolina um all right so the upcoming week for UCF men's basketball looks like this they're Saturday 2 p.m at home against Tulane which you can't really sleep on. And then Wednesday at 8, they're at Wichita State, which is just a, a such a hard place to play. Um, I mean, granted, you know, we won that overtime game there um, last time out. But, man, it's tough. But, you know, we, let's talk a little bit about Tulane because they got Jalen Cook, um, who's averaging just shy of 20 points per game, second in the conference in scoring. Um, and Jalen Forbes, who's averaging 15 a game right now. Um uh, it, it, Tulane worries me, man. There, there's something about them. They're they, you know, they they just kind of have. I don't know if it's the New Orleans voodoo or what, man. They're but they're having a year where they're seven and eight overall, but they're four and two in the conference. So they've heated up as they've gotten into conference play here. Um, am I right to be worried? 
Well, yeah. I mean, when you lose to South Florida like we did, you have to worry about every game, right? Yeah, with this team, you have to take it every game. Uh, you one know, game at a time. One game at a time. Literally. Literally. But, you know, you make the Tulane. Tulane could, you know, Ron Hunter, you know, is in his, I think his second year there. Uh, uh, you know, they're starting to kind of figure some things out. They always play hard, and it's kind of starting to pay off in conference play. I feel like in the America, there's always that one team that – struggles in league in non-conference and then all of a sudden sneaks up on you next thing you know they're like in the top half of the league you're like how did that happen but they could be that so and they've given ucf some fits in the past so look yeah you have reason to be concerned because again we don't know which ucf team is going to show up uh, this weekend is it the team in the first half against ecu is it the team in the second half against ecu that remains to be seen so yeah i you, you have every right to be concerned. I think we all have a right to be kind of concerned of every game right now until this team proves over a period of time that this team has put it together. Yeah, and then after that, by the way, Wichita started the conference season 0-4, which also scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Because you're going to be playing them. We're going to be playing them in their place. Tough place and, to play, uh, yeah. Never beaten them. I mean, always a tough place to play. And you know that if that gets worse for them, do they have a game in between now and then? No, they don't. So they're they'll be ready. Yeah. yeah so they're gonna be they're, they're gonna be ready and they're gonna be ticked off. And um and man, I, this is this is a tough stretch. And then after that, guess what? Saturday, January 29th, at home against Houston. Houston is still there you the go. top team in the league, the team that's rolling. So this is going to be a tough, tough stretch. It is. it is, but maybe they like it better when they get challenged. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Got to go game by game. But listen, everybody, we got to all calm down. We got to all relax here a little bit. Let the, what do you because always tell me about the college football playoff? The people let worry it play about, out. Let it play out. Well, and here's the thing. I, I It's a good ca- comparison because I feel like we have lost our minds of uh, <laughs> – in general, which I know is a shock in college sports. Let me give you a couple of stats here. Leonard Hamilton, right? Beat a, a Duke the other night. Dramatic overtime win, starting to figure things out. Prop in the mix to be in the, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Great coach, correct? Unbelievable success. be inducted into the Hall of Fame, no doubt. At Florida State. You know how long it took him to get FSU to the NCAA tournament when he got there? It took him a while. Uh, four years? Four or five years? Seven seven seasons it took him to get to the NCAA tournament he's made he is a made the NCAA tournament at FSU eight times he's been there since 2002 he's made the NIT seven times three times he's missed the NCAA tournament so he's actually 50 50 to make the tournament at FSU a big time brand they have tradition they play in the ACC which is the 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 basketball mecca of college basketball okay Jim Larinaga, Miami, you mentioned him earlier. Having a really good year, have a shot to make the tournament this year. Took George Mason to the Final Four. I think you would uh, agree he's a very good coach. Nobody's questioning his X's and O's, correct? Yep, he knows what he's doing. He's been at Miami since 2011. You realize he's missed the NCAA tournament the last four years? He's He's made the tournament four times at Miami since 2011. What am I trying to tell you here? It ain't easy <laughs> to make the yeah. tournament. Hey, I'll give you I'll give you one more about Leonard Hamilton. All right. Mm-hmm. Some of us old school folks remember when he started out or he didn't start out. He started out at Oklahoma State, but um he took over the Miami program initially. Yep. Right? When Miami restarted basketball in nineteen ninety. How long did it take him to get to his first NCAA with Miami, which by the way, they were in the Big East at the time. 
But uh, what was it? Eight years? Five, six, seven, eighth year. Man, I'm good. My memory. Eighth good. year, they finally I'm got covered. it, and they went and they went three straight, three straight NCAA appearances under Leonard Hamilton uh, out of the Big East um, before he actually went to the Washington Wizards um, and then came back to Florida State, but. That gives you an idea of how hard this is, man. In this okay. state, too. In this state. That's why I singled yeah. them out. Basketball is not a microwave sport. Correct. This ain't football, okay? And I still think this team, if they were to make a run and make the NIT, I still think that's a successful season. You remember we did the basketball season preview show. I said postseason is the expectation. I didn't say NCAA. I said NCAA or NIT. And some people that might want to scoff at that that's listening right now, I got news for you. The football program basically in the last three years has played the basically the equivalent to the NIT. So don't scoff at it. So uh, I I think we got to calm down. Johnny's done a heck of a job here, and it takes time. It takes okay. time. And in basketball, blue bloods blue bloods rule the sport. We're not a blue blood, guys. I'm sorry to break it to you. And not to mention the fact that in addition to this. Johnny and his staff are going to have to be dealing with a conference transition, which none of those Correct. guys have before, which makes it e- which complicates it even further. Correct. So, um, right, what's our win loss record right now? Right now, eleven yeah. and five. Really? Huh. You would think we'd be like five and eleven the way some people are 11, talking. Eleven and five, three and three in the conference. Yeah. Seven and two at home. So we're a tough team to play at home. Yeah. You know, like other- I said, I'm not saying you know. <clears throat> You know that we should be throwing parades. I understand the frustration, but I think some of you also need to relax and chill. All right, we're not. You know, it's it's not the end of the world. We'll see what happens and see how this stuff plays out. I mean, they have a chance to win. What they could still get to 17, 18 wins, and you know, see what happens. So twenty right? is still listen. Twenty wins is still in play. Sure, easily in play. Right. So let's just let it play out. Decide at the end of the year. Evaluate it. Take a context. All right. Let's not. Uh, you know, this ain't. You know. It, it, it is what it is. So you just yeah. play it out. I understand some disappointments. It's frustrating at times, but it could be a lot worse. It could be, you could be other places like the, in the three hundreds up in the, that have no hope. So, <laughs> yeah, you could be, you know, Wichita right now in the middle. You could, of you all, could be Syracuse. You could be Syracuse right now. That's you not looking Syracuse right, right now. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we were yeah, waiting for Jim Bay. i to retire. No, thanks for that. You know, you know, Jim's, you know, Jimmy B is checked out when he's got two sons, two of his sons <laughs> in the starting lineup. I just wanted to bring that up to set you up for that liner. I knew you were yeah. what you were saving that. Yeah. And now you got to yeah, throw I've it been, in. There. I've been hanging on to that one for a while. All right. Uh, Saturday, 2 p.m. against Tulane ESPN U for that game. And then the Wichita state game, 8 p.m. Wednesday. Hey, for once we're playing at a reasonable time in Wichita. Usually we play them at like 10 o'clock. Remember we had that one game that started like 9 30, 10 o'clock out there one time. Yes. Yeah. It's called television. Yeah, television. Well, this is ESPN Plus. See, look, ESPN ah, Plus does early work. baby keeps us at a reasonable, reasonable time frame here. Uh, ESPN Plus for the Wichita game next Wednesday, but Saturday home Tulane, two p.m. ESPN two or ESPN U rather. All right, stick around. We get back. Coach Abe, Katie Abrahamson Henderson, joins us to talk about her team's resounding victory over South Florida, number 24, South Florida, and just give us some insight on her program and her philosophy. Um, they are, this that team's on a freaking roll right now, man, and they are fun to watch, and uh, it, and we saw it. They're 12-2, and 4-0 in the conference. Watch out, man, because this team's coming. 
Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Black, Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. And joining us now, the head coach of UCF women's basketball team. This team has been rolling this season and just came off of a, an un, a really, a really impressive victory by any standard against number 24, South Florida. They are now 12-2 and two on the year and somehow are still only receiving votes in the top 25, which I consider to be a hate crime, basically. Huh. Um, they, they're coming off a 16-point win over South Florida at home. Uh, they are at Cincinnati on Saturday the 22nd. Coach Abe, Katie Abrahamson-Henderson, joins us here on the podcast uh, for the first time. Coach, how are you? This weather seems a little bit more to your liking, I think, huh. now this time around, isn't it? <laughs> no, this is not towards liking. I like the warm weather. Why do you think I'm here? I love the warm weather and the sunshine. I love it. I don't. So, I do not like the cold. So what you're saying is you had quite enough of it when you were in Iowa and then in Albany. Is, is that right? And Michigan State. And, and Michigan State. And Indiana. And Washington. I mean, it's just – I've – always wanted to be in Florida and live in Florida. I've always been trying to get a job in Florida. It's just, you know, they're hard to come by. So I'm obviously I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be here. I'm lucky we're in Orlando. It's beautiful here and it's a big city and, you know, my family can thrive and all the above. But I, I, when it gets cold like this, it just brings back no thank you, man. <laughs> no thank you. <laughs> well, I well I got to say we are lucky to have you here, and I and Eric and I are both tremendous admirers of the job that you have done with this program. Um, and one of the things that we really admire is just your program's identity. You have established a clear identity, and it begins and ends. With defense, only 17 teams in the history of NCAA women's basketball have averaged giving up under 50 points a game for an entire season. You guys have come razor thin close a couple times, and right now you're averaging giving up 48.3 points per game. Wow. What is it about your defensive identity that you want the fans to really know about and understand when they come watch your team play? I just, I think, uh, you know, in today's time back, you know, I'm, I'm only 20, but back in, <laughs> I mean, defense has always been when I grew up, uh, you know, when I played and defense was, you know, the way that all the really good Hall of Fame coaches won games. I mean, we're talking Pathead Summit. We're talking, you know, um, Andy Landers. We're talking, like, some of these really big-time coaches. I mean, that's what I learned. Um, Vivian Stringer defense. I mean, I think nowadays people think because of the, um, you know, the way basketball, the three-point line came in, and now it's like 
five out, everybody jack up threes. Well, that didn't change me and my core, you know? So I just think defense is controllable. Offense is just, you just don't know who's going to be able to make shots sometimes, you know, you don't know how the other team is going to guard you. I mean, I just think that for us and for not just here, I've, I've been this way, you know, since I was playing that defense is you don't need a lot of talent to play defense. You don't need to be the best, you know, post player in the world to play defense. You don't need to be the defense. You don't need to be the best shooter to play defense. Everybody can play defense. And that that's just, if you want to or not, you know, um, I don't, I don't think it's a huge skill. I think it's just, you know, something that's easy to me. It's easily taught. Obviously how we do this defense is, you know, you got to have a good basketball IQ to be able to do it. But um, you know, our team seems to like it. I mean, we create turnovers off it and it gets us easy baskets. I mean, you know, so, and we're a different type of team. So I think that's fun too. Helps to have talented players that can also execute defensively like Tay Sanders, who's the reigning American conference player of the week. But what has stood out to her is her offensive game. She's become a go-to player for you offensively. Uh, has averaged 14 and a half points here in conference play. And just talk about her maturation as an offensive player because her defense was always there, but now she's got confidence with her offensive game. She's starting to shoot the ball like her sister Zai Lewis did for you. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder if Zai's listening because Zai would be like, no, she's not. Uh, it's funny because you say that because Zai was at our game and uh, she came in the locker room after, you know, and they were, they were, they were kind of giving her a hard time that, you know, Tay's starting to shoot like her. And she's like, wait, wait, hold up. No, she <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it really helped this COVID because, you know, we've only been able to, we wouldn't have only been able to coach Tay two years. Um, and I think if you watch our team and watch our players, like their development is something that's key to, you know, our program too. Like we will take, you know, players that aren't maybe – the best offensive players in high school or, you know, can do all this fancy stuff offensively. We can develop them. I mean, my coaches do a great job of developing players, you know, and, and Tay's one of them. And Tay, to be honest, Tay's, Tay's in the gym by herself a lot. Tay's in the gym every single, every single night, working on her game, shooting on the gun. Um, you know, Tay loves the game. She wants to be good. Um, you know, so her development offensively has just come with progression. I mean, um, especially her outside game. Eric, she's been able to get to the rim. She's a transition monster. I mean, we actually gave her that nickname, you know, like she, she is like a thoroughbred when we get a steal or, you know, we get a tip or a loose ball. Like she is, she is out, like she's gone and she is explosive getting, getting down the court, you know, and obviously you got somebody like Diamond and Lish that can give her those passes and it's just fun to watch. She's like a thoroughbred running, you know, getting out of the, the gate and going like, so that's, that's what she's to me is just like, woo, she's explosive and fast getting out. You can't stop her getting there to, in transition. So, I mean, I think that's one way she gets points. And next way, I think this year, especially she's hitting threes. I mean, then that's credit to her and credit to Keish that they've been in the gym a lot. And this summer, her really staying here and working on her game and being in the gym constantly. I mean, players don't develop if they're not in the gym. Players don't develop if they don't work on their game. Players don't develop if they don't take that round thing and put it in the take the brown thing and put it in the round thing. They just don't, you know, I think, I think kids today think they can just play in a game and get better. They got to, they got to work at it. And Tay's, Tay's really worked at it. Speaking of players who've worked at it, who've really developed diamond battles. Um, I was joking with 
uh, the other day with um, KK Wright and and uh-huh. Tani Bellario, your your assistant coach on Twitter, that you know Tani's back there in the point guard lab like a mad scientist, you know, putting to, you know assembling you know what we saw from KK over four years, and now that's moved over to Diamond. Um, what does Diamond bring to the table for your team that, you know, cause, cause she strikes me as kind of, kind of like the alpha dog out there, right? Like, you know, the, it, it seems that everything kind of, she's in control, things kind of flow through her. And even when she's not having like the best shooting day, she still figures out a way to get the team where it needs to be. What has she meant for your team? Not just last year where she really made the leap, but this year. Yeah. I mean, you said it, I mean, that's, She's like the the passion, the dog, the fire. You know, you saw the first possession of the game when we played USF and they got that trap and she just was on the floor and she was like had that 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 dog in there. She's just like, yeah, like so passionate. You need people like that on your team. You know, you can't have I would love to have a bunch of them, but you can't have a bunch of them, you know, because then <laughs> you know, it's just a lot, you know. But uh you know, that's what she brings to the table. I mean, she's super competitive. She hates to lose. She's super fiery. She was absolutely like that in high school. Her high school coach was great. His, her high school coach allowed her to be that way, contained it if it got too far, right? And, you know, and you could see sometimes in our games, it, it's borderline to get, to get too far, but she's a fighter. She's, she's going to fight for, you know, her coach A, going to fight for this team. She's going to fight for her coaches. She's going to fight for her teammates. She's just, she is i mean we you know when we somebody that can replace that that part of the game obviously she's got a lot of talent she got a lot of talent um a lot of people recruited at our high school and um we just got lucky she really wanted to be developed and 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 stay close to home the thing that's impressed me about her and tay for that matter is they're shooting with confidence. It's one thing to tell them you've got to shoot because defenses like south florida did they're going to play off of them because they want to help inside so everybody knows the scouting report, but it's one thing to ha- to shoot the ball, but it's another to shoot with confidence. And that was the thing that impressed me this season, especially in the South Florida game. They weren't it, they were shooting with confidence. And when you shoot with confidence, it's amazing how the ball goes in the rim more often. But it seems like it they, they have the confidence now to shoot the ball, whereas in the past they would shoot it but have apprehension as they were shooting. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that um you know, we've talked all year about we have to have balanced scoring. We cannot have one high score. We can't. And we're not going to be a championship team playing that way. And that's where you see championship teams. Everybody's a scorer. So, um, obviously, for offensively, you know, I, I am an offensive coach to everybody. I think that you just see defense. But offensively, we we really have really worked on our sets and where they get shots and how they get shots and not just the guards but the posts and how you're getting shots and you know, and trying to be really key on, you know, this is where you're going to get the shot in the game. This is what we got to work on. Obviously, every scouting report's different. So South Florida plays this played this completely different than Iowa. Iowa played a box, box and one and triangle and two. So, whoo, that was a whole nother thing. And so did Mercer. So, like, we know and we've seen for all these years that Tay and Diamond have been playing for us. If we're talking about South Florida, we've we've seen over and over and over again how he and he sees over and over again how we play them. So we knew that coming in. We had time to prepare for it. We had time to, you know, get their mindsets ready. Like in practice, we were like, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. Like, we're going to go get it. Destin was going to try to get every rebound anyway. And so was Moss and so was Brittany. And 
Villa and so is Tay. We're going to like, just shoot it, like shoot it, shoot it with confidence. And I think us saying that over and over again really helped them. Well, a player that certainly when she shoots has confidence is Alicia Lewis. We, you and I have talked in the past about you wanted to shoot more because she's such a great shooter and she loves passing the basketball. But the thing that's really stood out to me this year is her defense. She had the 10 steals, which tied a school record. Then no one's done that at UCF since 1988 in the win against Houston. But she's really around the ball a lot. She deflects balls. And, and, and it's not an accident that every game she's always at the top in the plus minus category. Just what have you seen from her this year compared to last year? It seems like she's taking her game to a different level. Yeah. I mean, it's just time. And just, I think that because she came in as a transfer, they didn't think those two Asian um, lists didn't think they were going to play last year. Then all of a sudden at the last minute, they got cleared and so boom, you get thrown out there. That's hard. That's hard. That's like a new system, new everything. So I think it just took some time to, for her to learn her role. Now she's a pass first point guard and she's a phenomenal passer. Her and the kid at South Florida, they could pass the ball. They, that is what they're good at. But obviously this game and her teammates, she's very unselfish. Um, and her teammates really are, you know, stepping up and saying, shoot the ball, shoot the ball, shoot the ball, you know? And, there's times she's, she's still open and she's not – her eyeballs are looking to pass all the time. You know, it's not like she's just trying not to shoot. It's just when you have a uh, point guard head like that and you catch the ball, your first thing is to look at everybody else, not catch the ball and shoot. You know what I mean? I, I can't – I don't know how else to explain that. But she's – like there's times we're all constantly saying, uh, everybody get ready for the pass because – Lish is looking at you and you don't even know she's getting ready to pass up, make that pass. So keep your eyes up. Right. And then everybody's like, Lish is open. She needs to shoot it. And we're like, yeah, but she's also looking to pass too. So it's, it's training her to be able to do both. And I think this year, because it's her second year now and her second year with, you know, playing and, and learning the new system, she's been in three systems, Georgia tech, you know, Syracuse now us you know I think now she gets the system she understands the system she's the only one that she only has to play the top diamond's got to play the top and the wing you know Tay sometimes plays the top and the wing so I mean she is defensively that's where she plays and it's the only place she plays so that really helps her I mean she's got quick little feet she does a great job of keeping people in front of her you know she's obviously smaller so she's down close to the ball and when the big ones up there try to put it down she'll she goes in there and you know, that's what I used to hate when I played these little people that if I put the ball on the ground, they're so down there that I'm like, eh, they're, they're going to get it, you know? So she just does. She has great knack for the ball offensively and defensively. I wanted to ask you about your bigs. We can't, we, we can't let you go without giving them some love because you have this excellent three-headed monster up front between yep. uh, Masni Kaba, Destiny Thomas, and Brittany Smith. And they've all developed so well in their own ways. Uh, it, it, it's it's got to be a huge luxury having them all play in a way where it feels like they're all on the same page. You substitute them out, you know, in and out for each other rather frequently based on the matchups that you like. How have they each developed for you and and worked toward making this team better uh, up front? Because I know that's a huge emphasis for you. Yeah, I mean, obviously you got senior, junior sophomore so they've all three have really helped each other where when moss came in she had tolu joss jocelyn massey and people that helped her develop too and then and then you bring in um britney and she got to play 
with and against Tolu and, and, and Moss. And then you bring Desto in and she's playing a day in practice. So, but they're all different. They, and I like that about them. They're all different. They're different matchups, you know, destiny. I mean, you better box her out. I mean, not that you don't need to box Moss and Brittany out, but that is what destiny is going to do to me. She reminds me of Menunga. Like she's a, to me pretty soon destiny is going to be a double, double beast like Menunga is for South Florida or uh, Dulce is, you know, she, She's really developed her and developed her body and, you know, and, and gets the game now. And to me, she's a lot like Lish, very unselfish. Like scoring is not her thing. It's going to get that board and then scoring is her thing. You know, I think Moss is really on the low block developed way more than she did her first two years here. You know, like we've kind of made her that kind of low post presence down there after we lost Tolu and, and Jocelyn, like we just, she, she, she's super physical, super tough. Her, she's got that, she's got that mentality like Diamond. Like she's really, really tough. She's really, really, you know, fiery. She, she, when the game gets down the line, she wants the ball. Like she wants to score. She, you could tell, you know. And then, uh, you know, Brittany's just a, she's just a bucket. Like she's a bucket anytime, any place, anywhere. She doesn't have any kind of. Brittany just goes out there and we're like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, she can, she's so athletic. She can jump. I don't even think Brittany knows how high she can jump. Like she jump over. She got great hands. She got beautiful touch on the ball. Like, so every game, like Eastwickin does a good job with all of them. And just, you know, this is how you're going to score this game. This is the move you're going to make this game. This is what we're looking for off of, you know, this play. And so she does a good job of really getting them ready for what, how the game plan is going to be when these guys go in. These, these teams are not going to W Brittany. So now you're free, you know? So this team's not going to, is going to W middle Moss. So you need to go baseline. I mean, those are the little th- details we give our post players every single game. And, you know, they, they, I love it that you call them the three headed monster. I think that's awesome. That's pretty good. Uh, I want to ask actually, because we got a couple more questions before we let you go. On the trip to Iowa, where I don't really want to talk about the game, but just more of the trip, because that was pretty big hype. You know, obviously you're from Iowa, you played there, and I was following the, all the coverage leading up to that game, and people were, like, excited to see you back there at Iowa. The broadcasters, the media people were talking about you. You played there. I think it was Vivian Strager won the Big Ten title. Just talk about what was it like to be just back in Iowa, back in that building. I know, obviously, it was a game to focus on, but, I mean, you have history there. Yeah, lots of history for sure. You know, I think um, I, I I I had brought, been back there when I was at Michigan State, when I was at Iowa State, and when I was at Albany. So I've been back there a lot. My t- this team just hasn't right. So I think, you know, I think it was really cool for them to see and understand where I came from, where I played, you know, all that stuff. Not not that I mean, they none of them think I ever played college basketball. <laughs> so. I thought it was, I thought it was cool that, you know, I knew they were going to announce me. I mean, I knew, I knew it's so funny. I, Eric, I knew everybody at the scores table. One of the ladies at the scores table was one of my teachers. And so I got to see her, you know, and uh, you know, obviously the players that play at Iowa have no idea who I am. And, you know, just like a lot of players here and have no idea who Jocelyn is or, you know, but you know, I, Lisa Bluter is, you know, I admire what she does there. Jan Jensen is an assistant that I've known forever. And, you know, their staff I've known, they, they, they have three staff members that, that have been at Iowa a long time after, 
you know, when I was coaching at Missouri State, when they were coaching at Drake together, Jan Jensen and uh, can't think of her. Oh, I can't think of her name right now. I'll think of it. But they've been there forever and they've done a great job. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I root for them all the time because, you know, it's it's my alma mater. So, um, you know, I'm happy they're doing a great job and they've kept that program going. And, you know, from when I played there, Vivian really rebuilt it and got it to a really high level. And then Lisa came in and has just maintained it and, 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 and kept it. And the fans, there's still a lot of fans. When I played there was, there was a lot of fans, you know, and so it was, you know, that they still had the fan fans and everybody's still kind of going to that game. Yeah. It's uh, we have a heck of a relationship with UCF and Iowa and coaches from Iowa and coaching UCF. It's a pretty good history. You're a big part of that. And you played for coach Stringer. You played, I think also for coach Andy Landers too, right? Like that's pretty good uh linear of coaches you learn from how much did you learn from each and how much of them is in your coaching now everything I mean everything I mean to me I mean and not not a lot of people mention him but Bill Fenley at Iowa State I mean he's a genius like he to me he's like Gino like he is he doesn't get a lot of credit but he's a phenomenal basketball coach he is a X and O guru he is really good they're really good I Iowa State so obviously I learned from Andy Landers like a lot of different types of defenses, man, one, three, one, this matchup. I've learned, I learned a lot from him. Vivian, I learned, you know, just a, a lot about like offensive flow and the presses. I mean, when I played at Iowa, I pressed and we ran 55 and we ran a jump. And, you know, I learned that from her and I learned, you know, kind of different situations and scenarios from her. Joanne P. McCauley at Duke. I mean, people don't mention her, but I learned a lot from her the, community relations stuff i mean and the matchup the matchup we play now we played it at maine because she it's joe champies and joe champy she worked for joe champy at auburn when i at maine and then bill fenley to me is like i learned a lot of my x and o's offensively from bill fenley he is a genius when it comes to offense so I mean, I, I got all of them in me. I mean, obviously, no matter what you do, like you learn and you steal and you take and you absorb from everyone you're around. I mean, I learn and take and absorb from Johnny. I learn and absorb and take from games I'm watching on, you know, film. So I, as a coach, you, you know, really learn from everything. But, you know, those really four coaches, I learned a tremendous amount of information from. And I never thought I was going to be a college basketball coach when I was going through all this. <laughs> So little did I know I was absorbing, especially when I was a player. I, there's no way I wanted to be a college basketball coach, you know? So, but I absorbed and I didn't know I was absorbing information. What did you want to do if he wasn't going to be coaching? (laughs) I, I, I wanted to, I'm a fitness body person. I mean, I'm, I've always been that way. I, I wanted to like do something in, you know, sports related for sure. I, I didn't know if I wanted to be like run a fitness club, run a run a country club, um, run a, you know, a, a big time NBA program. Like I wanted to be involved in some sort of managerial role, but I also, you know, thought it, I, I got into fitness training a little bit, but I knew there wasn't a lot of money in it. So um, I was doing, I was a personal trainer a GA and a basketball coach when I was at Duquesne I was doing all three you know so um, I just kind of got into it when I was at Duquesne and I um, I really felt like women needed to be empowered and I kind of just stayed in it because a lot of people always were trying to hire me to stay in it and keep 
So I just kind of, I just kind of took jobs as they came and just, and then eventually I got a, my first head coaching job and was pretty successful. So kind of stayed with it. Well, we're glad that you did. Uh, I can tell you that. And a lot of the players did. You talk about you're always learning. Last question from me. So far through this point in the season, what's the one thing you've learned about your team that you didn't know going into the season? And what's the one thing that you need, you feel like your team needs to improve moving forward? Because you know you're going to be a target. Teams are going to go after you here in the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, I to offensively has been my thing all year long. And I you know, I didn't know when, when that would happen, when we can start clicking offensively, everybody and everybody being, you know, having everybody in the scoring category, not just one or two people. I, I didn't think it would be as quick as it started when it was with Tennessee. And then, you know, we beat Arkansas and, you know, all those teams. I think we, we got a, we got some good wins early with this team. Obviously it's a veteran team and everybody's back, but I obviously our defense was great, but offensively, if you're asking the question, I think we've gotten a lot better at it, but I, I think we need to continue to keep getting better offensively um, and and get get a couple more people, you know, Shania and Neela, obviously it's their first year again, you know, like your first year and these big games. I mean, we have been big time games. It's not like we've been playing games that, you know, a lot of games have been super close. So I, I really want Shania and Neela to really – um, continue to keep contributing because that's just going to help us down the stretch. Well, hey, we you know how big of a fan we all are of you and the job that you and your staff and your players have done to this point. It's It really is a joy. You guys have made defensive basketball fun to watch, which, you know, I think not, a, you know, it's it seems kind of odd, but like, but you like you were saying to us earlier, you know, everyone wants to, you know, you know, threes and everything, but it's fun watching you guys play and the chemistry your team has is just a blast. Now you've got um, the SMU game that was scheduled for today out in Dallas postponed. Yep. Don't know if there's going to be a makeup date. Um, so your next game is going to be Saturday at Cincinnati. Tough place to play. Yeah. It's a hard news team, right? So what's, what, what are you looking forward to out of, uh, you know, out of that game heading into the weekend? Well, you know, I just think there's some games that I, I our team will always be up for, and it's Cincinnati. I mean, they beat us in the, you know, uh, what two years ago, three years ago in the conference tournament. Two yeah, the years semis. Ago. It's been so they beat us, you know, two, and so I, I don't, I don't think our team's gonna forget that we got all those players back. So, you know, same with um, USF. It's the same thing. I think the I really wanted to play SMU because they're way better. They they have a whole new system. They have a new coach. They got a lot of transfers in there. They're, they're a good team. They're a really good team. So I was really excited to play them, but um, so Cincinnati going there, it is a tough place to play. And um, you know, obviously I, if I, we don't really shouldn't have to really get our team ready mentally. I'm talking mentally, obviously all, all the detail and stuff, we got to get them ready, but mentally prepared for that game. Cause they know exactly what it's going to be when we go up in there, you know? So, and we are trying to reschedule the SMU. We rescheduled the temple game already. It's already set. And we're working right now with dates to reschedule SMU. Yeah. I, I tell you, it's wild. Even, even we thought 2020 was wild. This year is even more wild with how to reschedule everything. But we, listen, coach, we really appreciate your time and your insight. Um, I covered coach Landers for two years at Georgia towards the end in the, in the mid 2000s. So I'm familiar with him and nice. And, and I, and I see kind of, and, and I, I know I can see the echoes of him, of him and your coaching and, <laughs> um, 
and it's just it's it's just a blast to watch your team. And uh, and I'll tell you, texted me yesterday and said, "Well, okay." <laughs> well, I don't blame him because that was an impressive performance. And here's to uh, quite a few more as we head down the stretch in the conference schedule. Next home game is going to be next Wednesday, January 26th against Tulane. Uh, and then, of course, there's that Monday, January 31st, 3 p.m. game against Temple. That's a makeup from earlier that we're going to be watching. But Coach Abe, Katie Abrahamson Henderson, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. Coach, thank you so much. Best of luck. Safe travels. We'll see you when you get back. And, uh, hey, keep it rolling. We love watching you guys play. Keep it, keep it up. It's a blast. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Eric. All right, thank you so much to Coach Abe for her time, and thanks to Megan Herboth also for um, helping us out um, get this thing together. Um, Eric, this team, you know, we're seeing them. Man, I hope we're not seeing them peak. No, right no, no. I, I think you're seeing a team with purpose. I think you've seen a veteran team that's back, that's hungry. You know, you even heard Coach Abe mention about the Cincinnati game. They still remember that loss in the semis from a oh, couple yeah. of years ago in the conference tournament. This team's playing with motivation. They're, they got the leadership. Uh, I think they are a team on a mission. And as she mentioned in the interview, defense, you can control defense. As long as defense travels everywhere. And this team is still one of the top defenses in the country with an improving offense, which, as she mentioned, that's the that's the, 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 the involvement of this basketball team. As we saw against South Florida – where they just shot the ball really well, Tay Sanders and company, and took it to USF from the opening tip. And uh, and that was tremendous for them to, to, to see that. So, no, I, I'm not too concerned uh, at all about this team. This team has got a swagger with them. They've got the leadership. I mean, you, you were there. Just I mean, the, that, that bench went nuts when Alicia Lewis did that step back oh and God. pulled the USF player. I mean, that's a very That was like straight out of the team. N1 mixtape tour, man. Yeah. That was, wow. I mean, that, yeah. that, was, that was the play of the game. We we knew it was going to be the play of the game. It's a unified was, team. Yeah. I mean, and, and it, listen, number two in the country in scoring defense, 48.7 points per game, um, and 16th in the country in steals. Twenty. It, now, they do commit a lot of fouls, 27th in the country in fouls, a 13.8 a game. Um, but they're holding teams to 34.7% from the field. And they're rebounding, too. They're in the top. Well, they're an aggressive defense. They're going to be an aggressive defense. You're going to try to get some steals. Sometimes you're going to reach in for fouls. So I don't really take it too. I wouldn't take it too. You know, I wouldn't get too caught up on the foul number there. Now, don't forget uh, the game that was scheduled for Wednesday night, night January 19th, postponed. And Coach Abe talked about it. Talked about it. She's going to, we're going to try. And, she said they're going to try and reschedule that. It's so hard. It's so much harder this year than it was last year trying to get stuff rescheduled because there's no extra week where they can do that so <clears throat> most likely as of the this moment that we're recording this on wednesday uh the next time we will see them is at cincinnati on saturday uh and by the way they did get that temple game rescheduled to monday january 31st at three and coach Abe was talking about like how that game is early, relatively early on a Monday because they got to hop on. Temple's got to hop on a plane and get out of here. Right, right. So you yeah, got um, yeah. to get back home to finish up their schedule. So, but there's still lots of basketball to be played. There's two games against Cincy, one more against South Florida. Eric, the Super day Bowl before Sunday. Valentine's Day, Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. That game. It's listen. If there's something we know about a Jose Fernandez coach team, it's that if you get them the first time. They're going to be ready for you. 
Well, in that rivalry, yeah, I mean, that matchup, it's always a, a great battle back and forth. I would not be surprised if you see those two teams play three times this year. Right now, they're both in great shape to make the tournament. And they are the standard of the league. The league's quietly having a nice, nice year, top six, top seven, depending on where you look as far as conference rankings. So you're right. That's going to be a big-time heavyweight fight on Super Sunday. Yeah, and look at uh, UCF right now in the net, 32. They moved up one spot, South Florida at 39 right now. And those are the two and those are the two big dogs out of the American right now because of, as I scroll down in those net rankings, uh Houston's at 77. You know, and unless and, and I think Houston's better than that personally. Yeah, based I think on what I saw. They, they had a couple losses that were kind of head scratching, but remember the part of the the tricky thing about it. I think Houston had some covid issues early in the season and that affects your performance. Obviously, you you're short-handed certain players so some of these results it's kind of it's just it's a very challenging time right now to evaluate teams because of all the circumstances that they're all dealing with yeah well first thing we got to do is take care of Cincinnati even though since he's 0-4 in the conference right now no you better believe like coach Abe said well they're gonna have a target on their back I mean they are a target they are these people like they circle the UCF game in in the league right well when you're 12 and 2 and 4-0 in the conference yep Everyone's gunning yeah. for you. So Agreed. three undefeated teams left in the conference right now. UCF, SMU, that SMU game would have been big too. So that's a bummer that, well, hopefully they can get that thing rescheduled. So we'll see. All right. We come back. Lots of news to talk about with Bryson Turner. We got tennis starting up. We got some football news to talk about. We have a UCF and women's soccer legend coming back to central Florida. Uh, Lots to talk about here coming up in the next segment. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Bryson Turner joining us here for segment three as we wrap things up here. Lots to uh, discuss here, um, Bryson, but I wanted to start with the prodigal daughter coming back home uh, to Orlando. Michelle Akers friend of the pod who we've had on before is uh is coming back to Orlando as an assistant coach with the Orlando Pride. Now, Amanda Cromwell, who used to coach at UCF and was a member of the team of Team USA back in the 90s with Michelle Akers is now the head coach with the Pride. Um after leaving UCLA where she won a national title and she has convinced Michelle to come down to Orlando and uh, and serve as an assistant. This is uh, this is a bit of a surprise, but wow, this is really cool to have the great Michelle Akers back here in Central Florida. Oh yeah, I think it's I'm ex- I'm excited to to see her foray into coaching. I mean, we we've seen with the with UCF sports that former athlete, like former athletes co- coming back to coach in different sports has been a thing for UCF. And so uh, I'm very interested. So I'm very interested to see Michelle Akers evolve over the course of uh, over the course of her coaching career, especially since it's going to be so close to home with Amanda Cromwell as her as her boss so it's always nice to, it's always just nice to have homecomings we've had plenty of those this week yeah. eric this is big for the pride man 
I mean, I mean, Amanda coming back is obviously huge, but Michelle Akers, wow. I mean, that's, you know, nothing against Amanda, but... <laughs> this is, yeah, this is a blockbuster. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Uh, you know, we'll have to probably post that Michelle Akers interview we did with her about, what was it, about a year ago? Yeah. Because uh, they were team, they're close, obviously. They were teammates, a team, the U.S. national team. It was a man, it was, a, and this is kind of funny. If you remember in the interview, it was Michelle Akers that convinced a man Amanda to take the UCF head coaching job. Now, here we are a couple decades later, and it's probably Amanda convincing Michelle to come to Orlando to join her on the pride staff. I mean, it's it's full circle, man. That's uh, that is significant. And wow, right now, look at UCF soccer right here. We got Michelle Akers and Amanda Cromwell on in Orlando with Coach Sahadak at UCF. Uh, I, I can't wait for some of those UCF reunions. That's going to be some wild, but big, 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 big story. Yeah, that's big. So, hey, congrats to Michelle. Looking forward to seeing her back here uh, coaching the Pride. Now, um, now we're going to have to go to a Pride game, Jeff. We're going to have to cover the I know. Pride. we got to go. we got to get the band back together. Remember we said we want to meet her when she's in town. Well, she's not going to be in town well, now. Yeah, now we'll have the opportunity, <laughs> right. Uh, Bryson, let's talk a little track and field because uh, the track and field team opened up the outdoor season. Indoor. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Indoor season. Thank you for that. Um, Latasha Smith named the American Athletic Conference Track Athlete of the Week. She won the 400 and uh, finished in the top 10 in the 300 at the Clemson Invitational. But she wasn't the only one who had a pretty good uh, weekend, wasn't she? She had an absolutely amazing weekend. She anchored the 4x100-meter relay team to a fourth-place finish. Well done there. She set a new personal best in the 300-meter run, finishing sixth if i am not mistaken yes she did but the big story for her is the 400 of uh, the 400 meters she ran what is currently the third fastest indoor collegiate female indoor collegiate 400 meters this season with a 53.16 and it set a new school record wow. in, in in the in the event like absolute absolute domination right there and she finished over a second ahead of second place who was her own teammate freshman Kaya Williams who also had a really great week setting some personal some personal best this week as well uh, we, uh, we also have the, of course, the return of our girl, Renaya Jones. She mm -hmm. said some personal, she said some personal best in the 60 meter hurdle and 60 meter dash. She finished, uh, she finished in sixth overall in the, in the hurdles and seventh overall in the 600 meters. And she also finished eighth overall in the 200 meters. So very, so very nice return to action for her and Jasmine Scott Kilgo performed very performed very well in the long jump and triple jump in the long jump she um in the long jump she was joined by uh th by three other knights in the final and she finished third and then in the in the triple jump she finished fifth which was her first ever indoor triple jump by the way so nice so nice job from her and I honestly wish I could talk about this team all day Natalia Madison um, in the high jump she finished eighth I mean, there's just so much to talk about with this team that I could talk about it all day. But I know that we've talked about the 2017 track and field team and how it's one of the one of the great teams. And I don't I'm not saying this team is stacked up to that right now because there's a lot of young faces. But I'm seeing some I think this what this what this meet shows us. There's some 
extra talent on that team. It's not just Renaya Jones and everybody else. There's there's a ton of talent. Here. Oh yeah, yeah. By the way, Renaya's um, not not to harp on Renaya, of course, but um, her sixty hurdles and sixty dash, um, her team her, her times qualified her, if I'm not mistaken, for the conference championship already in one meet in. So um, so that's 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 a big win right there for UCF, which. You know, we don't have an indoor track and field facility, right? And, and it is a little bit different out there. So for UCF to perform as well as they do in those indoor events, um, I think it's I think it's pretty remarkable. You know, we, we used to do pretty well in the indoor when Carl Smith Gilbert was here too. And, you know, since then it's kind of like, ah, that kind of takes a back. I think that's taken a backseat to the outdoor season, but not anymore. I, I, I think that that's, that, that's a, re- a good reflection also on the coaching staff. Um, <clears throat> as well, and what Dana Boone's been able to do, especially when you set a couple of a couple of school records. The um, sh- I forgot to mention Charlotte Crook set a new school record in the one thousand meters that has stood since two thousand seven, and two thousand seven, and then the four hundred meter record that Latasha Smith broke has stood since twenty since February twenty sixteen. Right. So yeah, just absolutely blown away that this is where we're at. Where we're at one meet in already. Yeah, one meet in. All right. Um, men's tennis opened the season. Uh, they were number 11 in the country, uh, came up short in Athens against number eight, Georgia. It was, this was home. A it was home match- at the USTA National. Oh, it was home. It was. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Sorry about that. The, um, uh, Georgia's tough, you know, it, it's cause they're Georgia, you know, and, um, you know, it, it was uh, a pretty dominant performance by the dogs, but, uh, what did you see from what the, what UCF was able to do in this against a pretty, uh, pretty stalwart Georgia team here. Well, I think the big thing is, is that Georgia's ranked number eight for a reason. They are a top 10 team and they showed it today. Uh, based, so it started in, with the doubles point and uh, the number the number 21 ranked pairing in the country, Trent Bride and Philip Henning beat Bogdan Bevel and Leighton Cronhe six to four, which against an unranked opponent with, with a pairing that I haven't seen play together in the fall, Solid mm-hmm. job, like um, solid job. Bogdan and Layton are both ranked in doubles, but the, but they were paired with Trey Hildebrand on both times. So it was interesting right. to see them play together. Uh, Eric Revelius and Blake Croyder then beat Alan Rubio and Kento Yamada six to three, uh, and six to three. But that unfortunately left the matchup between Tristan McCormick and Hamish Stewart and Trey Hildebrand and J.C. Roddick teaming up, which I thought was very interesting to see. They were tied five to five, so it was a very close match that unfortunately just wasn't finished because Georgia had already gotten the doubles point by that point. Other than that, uh, Trey Hildebrand, uh, the number 16 ranked singles player in the country, fell short of number 62 ranked Trent Bride, uh, six to three in the first set and seven to six in the second set. Georgia's got four guys in the top 110 here. You know, I mean, like they're, they're stacked. They're they're top, top to bottom. I think George, if I had to go top to bottom, I think Georgia is probably the better team. I think Trey Hildebrand, if you take like the top players on our team, I think several of them are good. They're better than some of the, the top players on Georgia's team. But if you go top to bottom and you have Blake Croyder at 110 and he beat JC Roddick six to two in the first set, seven to five in the second set. Um, Alan Rubio did put up a good fight as well against number 32 ranked Hamish Stewart. 
but luckily, they did avoid the sweep. Bogdan Bavel got the win over Miguel Perez Pena in three sets. So it's a rough start, but you know, Coach John Roddick, like we've said it before, uh, he's, it's, tr- he's it's early, it's early, yeah, man. Yeah, but, John Roddick, but hey, no rest for the weary though, because they got number three Florida coming up in Gainesville on Saturday yeah. too. So Oof. you know, again, that's that's gonna you know, it's it always comes down to the rankings. Uh, women's tennis, by the way, they start their season uh, in uh, at the uh, USTA national campus they're starting the season ranked uh number 12 if i'm not mistaken 11 here are they, they are tied 11th? For, okay they, they were wow tied. they didn't even play and they moved up a spot <laughs> i think it was just breaking a tie i think that i think that was it maybe georgia tech played i haven't seen it but they're ranked but the tie got with georgia tech got broken and they're ranked 11 now which is it's nice because it's nice i like it when they are able to sort that out yeah i'll take it uh eric what do we got uh, what else we got going on here for uh, as well because you know i mean as we move toward the spring um got a little football we got some guys coming back yeah we got we, well we got one guy coming in and another guy coming back all right first yep. the uh newt wilson's coming back and he announced that on instagram uh actually earlier today and that's big for ucf's defensive secondary because um you know he had he had one more year of eligibility to go. We weren't sure if he was going to take it. You know I thought that he was just so steady back there, just like we thought he would be. Um, transferred in from Bama, I remember, um, and he's been a real joy to watch back there. I'll tell you, and uh, a, a a a explosive tackler. I I I've really liked watching him back there, and to get him back for one more year in Travis Williams's defense, that's big for that defense, isn't it? It is. Get that experience back there in the secondary in particular. I think he really uh, clicked on all cylinders from that point on. And, uh, yeah, anytime you could get that talent back, get that experience, that leadership in the secondary, it's huge for this team. Devon Wilson transfer from Georgia, by the way, not Bama. Georgia, what I I'm thought. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't remember. Who's the guy who came in from Alabama? You're thinking about your defensive back, your boy at the Giants there. That's what you're thinking about. I That's think. right, Aaron Robinson. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking about. Um, the other uh, newcomer who came in, uh, well, I call him a newcomer, but this guy's this guy's a veteran, um, and we saw him in the bowl game. Kamor Gamble, six four tight end from Miami Southridge, uh, who played uh, for four years, actually five years um, in Florida. His first year as a Gator was 2017. He was a redshirt that year. Um, Eighty cat or, 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 or what do you call? It? He had um, last season. 31 catches for 414 yards and four touchdowns, uh, including one catch again in the bowl game against UCF. But um, this guy's a big target now. We got a tight end coming in, Eric. This is this is this is another another transfer portal ad for uh, for uh, Gus Malzahn, man. This is and this is an offensive one. This is going to help out too. Probably the most t- talented tight end they've had since Jordan Akins. Uh Wow, really? I really do. I really do. This is a big, a sneaky, really good. I mean, to get a Gator to come here is amazing, first of all. But second of all, yeah, he's super talented. I think he'll help him in the run blocking standpoint. He'll help him as a, a target and use the tight end more. Uh, boy, that, you're right. With him, that's a big, big move there. And getting Kobe as well with Auburn. I mean, all of a sudden... That skill position that people were quest wondering about, you know, this is again, yeah. this is why you have to, you can't evaluate the transfer portal until the end because you're going to lose some, but you're going to gain some. And it's just a matter of how does it all play out at the end. And I think UCF's 
Gus is doing a nice job here at the portal and being a nice pickup there at tight end. Yeah, that's uh, so I'm looking forward to that. By the way, um, our thoughts are out to Christy Malzahn, who uh, was in the hospital, came out this week that she's hospitalized with some kind of infection. They weren't they weren't clear about what it was. But, um, you know, hey, listen, anytime that happens, that kind of stuff is scary. So our best to Christy and, and all the Malzahn family, hoping she gets through OK um and uh and is recovering quickly so uh christy we're thinking about you um last thing we want to talk about bryson um cheer and dance in the uca uda kind of a disappointing finish for uh, the cheerleading team who uh, i mean they finished in the top five but they were first coming out of the semis right and uh wow south florida two in a row for the bulls um you know we thought that last year we would just chalk it up to covid no they're for real man um What's going on there? Well, looking at it, I mean, they had a great they had a great perform performance in in the semis. Um, but I think what's important to look at is there are two scores in these things. There's the raw score and the event score. The raw score basically ta- basically accounts for how difficult a routine is. So the routine is while the event score is more like regardless of what you did, how well did you do it? So what. In the finals, UCF had the highest raw score. The problem is, is that they also had the second most um, point deduction, the second largest. So they definitely messed up somewhere in there. While USF, they had a a solid raw score, 93.9, not that far below UCF, and they had zero deductions. So from what we're seeing here, UCF just attempted a really difficult routine and it didn't really, really work out. While USF did a slightly less difficult routine, but did it pretty much perfectly. And that's what got and that's what got them to win there. That's what always happens, right? It's like you got to hit. You got to hit in the finals and UCF hit in the semis, but like a bobble here, a bobble there. I mean, that's what happened with Kentucky. Kentucky's up there every year. They had a really rough go at it, right? I mean, they finished, I think, in seventh. Yes. Yes. Uh, no, eighth. They eighth. finished eighth. Okay, so like that's a big upset, you know, and, and to see them to see them fall down. I mean, you, how many national championships have they won over the years? I mean, like dozens. So, so yeah, it's just I said this on Twitter, man, and, and it bears true. Like UCF cheerleading has the toughest the toughest road to a championship of any team that UCF has. Why? They have three minutes. All these other teams have how many games, right? Plus the postseason. This team's got three minutes, three minutes to show your best, and that's it. But dance night, team. night moves. Under best finish head, yet under first year head coach Joyce Winter. By the way, uh, the UCF dance team is very active on Instagram and not Twitter. I have learned. Hmm. So um, Joyce Winter came in in July twenty first. So not even a full year in. And she is our, and she has gotten night moves to their highest ever finish in the hip hop category in program history. And you can watch the full routine on 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 their Instagram. They posted it, and and well done. I mean, they basically uh, in the finals they they finished with they had a hundred and three point four raw score, finished with an eighty nine point nine one three event score. The winner ended up being LSU with a hundred and twelve, but that uh that's some progress right there that's progress you know i feel like night moves always gets underappreciated sometimes because they're kind of in the shadow of the cheer team but they do a phenomenal job year in and year out they've always been national competitors and it's tough in dance man it's it but 
congratulations to them on a job uh, well done. So, all right. Well, what, I'm just excited to see what they're going to do in the future because this is just the first time that Joyce Winter has headed this program into the into the national championship, yeah. and they managed to do and in the hip hop category, they managed to do better than any other team has in history. So, yeah. great job. That's going to be fun to see them uh, advance. You know, we see them in basketball all the time, just like the cheer team. We saw the routines and uh, you know that that the cheer team was doing. It looked a little rough there initially for the cheer team, but man, did they pull it together toward the end when we saw them in basketball and um, and and that was good. Such a bummer that that you know they finished where they did because I thought they did a phenomenal job. Really grew a lot in the last couple weeks. You know, right at the very end, they were pulling some stuff together, so that was fun. All right. So let's finish this thing up here, Eric and Bryson. Uh, you can follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Follow Bryson at It's Bryson Turner. Uh, follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. And follow us collectively at UCF Banneret underscore SBN uh, here, on, uh, here on Black and Gold Banneret. You can also follow us, of course, at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret as well. Huge thanks to Coach Abe for joining us at coach underscore Abe, A-B-E, on Twitter uh, to follow the latest with her. Of course, UCF underscore WBB. Thanks again to Megan Herboth for helping us out and getting uh, Coach Abe in her very busy schedule. I swear the only way we would have gotten her, Eric, is if they had a game postponed and all of a sudden they were looking for something to do. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. That's called creative scheduling on the fly. That's what yes. it is. <laughs> I don't know how they were able to do it. But, uh, uh, but yeah, thanks, Darren. Uh, it'll be fun to watch them uh, this coming weekend as they take on Cincinnati with a little bit of revenge on their minds. All right, that'll do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. For Bryson and Eric, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the weekend. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Catch you later. 